Welcome to A Paradox Life. We're two doctors, living large, living small. We're talking about our experiences, things we know a lot about, and things we're completely clueless about. Hopefully, it's going to be entertaining and help all of us know a little bit more about this paradox life. Hi, I'm Dr. Mark Beatty. I'm Dr. Laura Beatty. And I'm Dr. Nicholas Beaulieu. Beaulieu. Boyu, and this is a paradox life. Uh, Dr. Nick Boyu is our friend, and he is a direct primary care physician in Atlanta, family medicine like I am, and we are fortunate to have him during uh, Heart Awareness Month to talk about not only heart disease, but saving the life of Dr. Mark Beatty. So with that, I will turn it over to Dr. Mark Beatty to tell his story. So yes, um, there was a uh, time about four years ago when uh, Dr. Boyu and I had just uh, recently finished a tennis match at our respective club, at which I did not perform very well. And um, some 10 minutes or so later, I had a cardiac event resulting in a cardiac arrest in the parking lot. Fortunately, Dr. Boyu was still uh, in the area and uh, some of the other folks from the club went and got him and uh, he was responsible for resuscitating me and, um, and I think I'm that's, sitting here. And I think that's about all you remember until that is about pretty, 10 days later, something along uh, those five lines. Five or six anyway. Yeah, yeah it, was, uh, it was a little minute. So. so I will now turn it over to you to talk about your part of the story. I think you were just sitting down to enjoy a drink. Yeah. So, you know, interestingly enough, <clears throat> to start it out, that Beatty, B-E-A-T, is only one letter before B-E-A-U. <laughs> so it's our children, you know, That's right. Being, yeah. <clears throat> right behind each other in alphabetical listing that led to the friendship that started uh, the tennis um, and everything. So interesting Good connection. Point. Yes. So, yeah, um, Mark and I played tennis and... I am known for running people around in a tennis court. It's my lack of skill. Uh, so I have to typically beat them with endurance. And I think that's what I did to Mark. So um, we had, you know, we'd been playing tennis and we usually would stop and get in, and play tennis and then go get a drink afterwards. And he decided not to that day, which I thought was rare and unusual. But uh, true. I did go Definitely up to the, true. And I did go up to the bar to have a drink. Um, I never drink alone unless I'm by myself. Uh, so I was just sitting down to an old fashioned when uh, somebody walked in and said, hey, Nick, they need a doctor downstairs. And I'm like, okay, well, this is common enough. So I took a sip and I started to walk with them. And I remember I was walking and I said, they need a doctor because somebody turned their ankle or yeah, is they, there you, something you were else figuring going on? on like a nosebleed. Yeah, yeah. I, you, know, you never and, know. Right, right. So, so yeah. he couldn't, he said, I don't know, but I think it's serious. And I said, okay. So we started running. And, uh, and by the time we got out of the building and into the parking lot, there was a guy with a golf cart waiting for me. So, um, then drove me down to the scene of, you know, a bunch of people standing around somebody, but, you know, I could see the hand sticking out that was blue and uh, I could tell right away that there wasn't any circulation and uh, the individual down in the parking lot uh, was completely covered in blood. I had no idea who it was and I just checked the pulse and there wasn't any. So that's a code situation. And uh, then that's the ABCs, this, you know, airway breathing circulation that we're also trained in that we don't have to think about it. It becomes second nature. And then um, my mentality as a previous, um, having worked in ERs for about 10 years, yeah. 
and having to run the codes in the hospitals when those happened, um, that just kind of took over. And uh, we started to code this poor bloody gentleman in the parking lot. <clears throat> and I'm thinking the whole time, doesn't look good, man. This guy's probably not going to make it. I feel bad for him, but I'm doing what I'm doing. And at some point, uh, somebody said, hey, we have an AED, the defibrillators. Do you want me to get it? And I said, well, hell yeah, this guy's not doing so well, whatever we can get. So I hooked him up and it wasn't until I, um, we went to deliver that first shock when you say clear and make sure nobody's touching that I stepped back from the situation far enough to see that this bloody gentleman was wearing a knee brace, pretty elaborate structure, really <clears throat> lots of, you know, pulleys and things on it. And mm -hmm. I was like, geez, Mark wears a brace just like that. And then it hit me that it was Mark. And I had been coding him for probably 10 minutes doing, uh, you know, comp chest compressions to that point. And, uh, we gave him three shocks and that was not particularly successful. And finally the EMS got there. We still had a pulseless bloody man down in the parking lot who had been there at least 20 minutes. And, uh, so EMS was not particularly motivated to jump in there because it's not going to be a good outcome generally in these things. And so, at any rate, uh, you know, I, I said, you know, are we are we transporting or are we intubating here or what are we going to do? And they kind of shrugged. And I said, well, then let's transport. And uh, and again, in a code situation like this, you know, you might get one percent of the people that you run a code on back. And that's in a hospital where I'm used to coding people in a parking lot with no resources um, was not very hopeful. But I was on the back end of that stretcher when we went to put him in the uh, in the ambulance. And I was a step behind him and they got in first and I kind of tripped and had to lean in. When I did, I dropped my end of the stretcher. Not a lot, maybe three or four inches. But as soon as that stretcher hit the floor of the uh, ambulance, Mark took a breath. He went, just a really strained breath. And I was just shocked to see it. And I jumped in and he had a pulse. And I hadn't gotten a pulse in 20 or 25 minutes of running that code prior to that. So I was excited. Um, Slammed the door, said, go, go, go. And by the time uh, we were about two minutes away from Emory, and by the time we got there, we already had a six lead EKG, showed he had a pretty big inferior MI, which would account for a rhythm disturbance that probably took out his conducting system. So his heart was no longer in rhythm. So it would have dropped his blood pressure immediately and account for him just Oops. passing out um, and hitting the ground and banging his head like that. So uh, at any rate, ER was ready for us when we got there. We hit the doors. They went to work. Uh, got his head scanned to make sure that wasn't didn't have an internal bleed. He was because he was really covered in blood. It was pretty bad. Lack I guess that was just from the from the brow laceration. I mean, that's kind they of bleed. crazy. Hands no, bleed. it was a huge yeah. laugh. It, it was a big laugh. <laughs> it was. I mean, yeah. 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 Your yeah. scar nicely goes in with the with your yeah. wrinkle yeah. there, but yeah, yeah. it was pretty big. And by the way, you you went like that. That's the wrong eye. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and every time I look at you, I can always see that scar. Yeah, yeah. So, Memories. Yeah. So anyway. Um, Emory did a, an amazing job and the technology that they have to cool people down in those events to have tissue, uh, less tissue loss, be that brain or heart, fascinating stuff. Um, I can tell you, and Laura, you probably remember this part. That's when I saw you there. I was like, yeah. I'm not hopeful. I coded him a long time. I don't feel very good about this. Yeah, and I showed up. You were pretty shaky. I was pretty shaky. I remember looking down at your knees, which were abraded, and they were oozing a little bit of blood because just to show how long you had been on the 
parking lot um, ground uh, doing chest compressions, which you must have done pretty effectively because I think, you know, brain power is intact. So he, uh, he did well. And this is uh, Heart Month. So we wanted to talk a little bit about this story, which is an amazing success story. Unfortunately, most stories are not. If you have a heart attack that ends up in a cardiac arrest, Again, I think you're right, less than 1% go on to uh, complete recovery, and it's less than 10% that live, and, and those uh, have a disability. And so we are on the amazing success side of this story. But I think we're going to segue here and talk a little bit about your history with heart disease, because you're the first one in your family to have known heart disease. Yeah, as far as we know, that is true. I did have a paternal grandfather who had cerebrovascular disease, died of a stroke at a relatively young age. So there, you know, retrospectively, there probably is some history there that had just never been identified. But that said, I have other, um, you know, twice removed relatives, um, uh, grandparents and, and great grandparents that have all lived to be in their 90s. So it's not like there was this big, you know, strong history of, uh, of problems within the family. So for me, um, the, the way that we first discovered that I had a issue is Laura had her concierge medicine practice when they were first rolling out CT, CT calcium, calcium scores. Yeah. And so the guys that were, you know, starting that technology were promoting it to all of the local docs and particularly concierge docs. I mean, it fit in with the model very well. So Laura signed me up to go get a CT calcium score, which we assumed was going to be zero. Well, one of us is zero. It's the power of optimism. <laughs> Trump's disease every time. So we'll get into some risk factors here in a minute, of which you have a few. What was your score, by the way? At that time, it was it was ninety, you know, and okay. it was all in the LAD. But uh, at yeah. in but I was uh, early forty. Yeah, I was forty four or something like yeah. that, and you know, so to have anything there was a little bit a um, little bit surprising. Well, and by the way, the LAD is the Widowmaker, right? Yeah. So that's speaking yeah. the ventricle, which uh, yeah, almost the Widowmaker, <laughs> and that is you know that's if you lose that heart muscle, you are not going to have a blood pressure, and you are going to die from that one. So that's the one artery you want to not have a, an occlusion in. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, I think we'll take a break here and then we'll come back and talk more about heart disease in America and some of the um, risk factors known and some risk factors that are less known that we need to dive into and how people can predict whether or not they're at risk, which most people are, and how to seek out someone that can help them stratify their risk and improve their potential outcomes, hopefully in not as much of a remarkable fashion as this story. Hey, I'm Dr. Nicholas J. Beaulieu. I'm a family practice physician trained in functional medicine, practicing here in the Virginia Highlands in-town neighborhood of Atlanta for the last 19 years. I'm very excited to announce our clinic has recently joined the paired network of direct primary care clinics here in Atlanta. We now offer unlimited primary care at an all-inclusive rate of $100 per member per month. We offer same-day appointments, urgent care, x-ray, lab services, on-site, ongoing care for chronic disease, immunizations, and so much more. 
without co-pays, co-insurance, deductibles, or mystery bills months after the visit. Most importantly, we offer an array of preventative medical services to evaluate your risk for cancer, heart disease, and genetic disorders. These services are absolutely crucial, and the development of a comprehensive health care plan protects you from the insanely expensive medical care of the current disease model system. We offer the opportunity to develop a genuine connection with your practitioner because here at Highland Urgent Care and Family Medicine and the Paired Network, we feel that making a connection between our client and an enlightened, unrestricted practitioner is the centerpiece of a comprehensive health plan. We're here to help you live the life you've planned. And we are back discussing heart disease during heart month with Dr. Mark Beatty, who is a patient with heart disease, survived a cardiac arrest from a heart attack. And Dr. Nick, I'm going to say your name wrong, Boyer is how I say it, but that's Dr. Nick always works. Because <laughs> I, I followed you with the first pronunciation. That's probably the closest I've ever well, gotten French, it correct. The French is Boyer. Boyer. But it sounds Boyer. awfully pretentious. Where I came from, they hit you for saying that. I'm, I'm Boyer from yeah. somewhere near Bangor, Maine. So. Right, 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 right. And he is the person that saved uh, my husband's life. So I guess the moral of that story is if you have heart disease and you're playing hard tennis, make sure you have a family physician handy <laughs> that can that save has your fantastic life. emergency room experience <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, always yeah, play but... within five miles of a great hospital and yeah. it's going to improve your possible odds of living um so let's talk a little bit about risk factors and i'm sure, sure when people hear these stories they always kind of think about who in their life might be at risk and some of these things are known and have been described for a long time others not so much some probably get too much credit for being a big risk factor and other things get far less credit for being risk factors. And sure. so what we know about you, go ahead. Well, probably the... the and confess big... all, because I'm here to tell the truth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, the biggest one is the cigarette smoking yeah, history. I, I you know, I was, uh, there's no question about that. Now, interestingly with mine, it was pretty remote because I had quit some 25 years ahead of time. And... Um, Not 25 years. You were early 40s when you were diagnosed with heart disease. And okay, you... if we go, I'm talking about from the event, but uh, yes, okay, from first diagnosis, it was probably 10 years somewhere in uh, somewhere in that neighborhood. So, uh, one of the points with that, though, I think, is that the effect that cigarette smoking has on cardiovascular disease doesn't mitigate with time really that is a cumulative thing versus the cancer risk which does go back down to population average with time so at least for I, lung we know right that. for yeah. lung yeah that's right so um so anyway that was the big one for me i was a fairly heavy smoker for about um 10 years and then completely quit mm -hmm. um so that was yeah that was and the, you the had high cholesterol which we which, discovered probably after we discovered the, that you had heart disease and right. then you were placed on at that point a low dose statin. I don't think we were as aggressive with lowering LDL as we are certainly in, um, in, in cur I, current. I definitely remember that the medical management stepped up over time mm -hmm. with that. Yes. Yeah. So initially it was, it was, it was pretty low dose and then other things were added in. And, and diet has not always uh, been great for you. You are a big fan of bacon and I do like bacon. <laughs> I do like bacon and red meat. And, and yes, yes, you do. And then, so, uh, and then just in general inflammation. And I think that 
um, inflammation is getting more attention about being a risk factor. And we're going to let Dr. Nick talk more about that. But inflammation for you, you had been diagnosed with cancer a few years before your heart attack and cardiac arrest. One so, year, actually, interestingly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had yeah. recently completed one my cancer therapy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When that happened, it was about six months ahead. And then you yeah. probably yeah. had that cancer. How long do you think it was growing before you know, it was discovered? It's so hard to say. I don't think uh, because of what it specifically was, which is HPV related head and neck cancer. Uh, I mean, you know, that it, it, it's one of the most... Slower. Um, well, we don't really know, but mm -hmm. it, because the recognition of this as an entity and its prevalence has so dramatically increased over the last 15 years that that data is just kind of coming in. Regardless, I think we behaves. can all agree that it causes but inflammation in the no body doubt. when you there's have cancer. No, there, there's no doubt. Which yeah. might have been the lightning match. And then I think uh, our friend and our dentist, Dr. Susan Estep, would probably chime in and say, you also had some dental issues. You were due to have an implant um, and that that can sometimes contribute to inflammation as well. But now we'll turn it over to what can be done outside of a CT calcium score, which is looking for the evidence of actual heart disease. We can figure out how much risk you are in by looking at several things before you develop heart disease to just know how much risk is there. Yeah. And so one of my things about this is we know now that 50% of all heart disease will present as an event, you know, which is a huge failing on our part. Not that we're so stellar in preventive medicine anyway, but there's a stark, you know, example of where we really are dropping the ball in right. terms of heart disease. So if 50% of all event of all heart disease presents as an event, there's obviously a lot of preventable disease there. So the other the statistic that I find interesting is 50% of people who have heart attacks and heart events have normal cholesterols. The cholesterol panel that's typically used that LDL, HDL, total cholesterol and triglycerides uh, to assess whether or not you have heart disease, that algorithm was calculated in 1973 and it really hasn't been updated. So to look at those four numbers and try to make a decision as to whether or not these are things that are gonna lead somebody to heart disease is a very blunt tool. Mm -hmm. So what we do is an NMR panel. We're actually doing an MRI on those cholesterol particles because we really want to know how many small dense particles do you have those are the ones that squeeze in between the skin cells that line your blood vessels and set up plaque formation in the walls of the artery and that's an important point remember this plaque isn't in the lumen of the vessel where we could probably just bore it out or move it in one way or the other this is in the wall of the vessel and it grows in that wall and it has a very thin skin covering towards the original skin of the wall it isn't until that skin ruptures that the body perceives there's a hole in a vessel, forms a clot, and now you have a complete obstruction of a vessel and anything downstream doesn't get any blood. <clears throat> so if that's heart, that's a heart attack. If that's brain, that's a stroke. So there are two colluding factors when we look at heart disease. We wanna see one, um, is there small dense particles that, can, that are atherogenic particles? And two, can they make their way into the wall of the vessel? Well, remember, the immune system travels in your bloodstream as well. So if a white blood cell is constantly having to leave the bloodstream and go out into the tissue to fight infection, those skin cells have to separate enough to allow that, that, that cell to pass out of the vessel. And if that happens, the door gets left open. The small dense particles make their way in. You start to form plaque in your artery. 
So that's the kind of thing we can pick up on CT calcium scoring, which is great. Now, the main criticism of CT calcium scoring is it identifies plaque formation, but it does not identify rupture prone plaque. And it's when the plaque ruptures when you actually have an event. So we actually have some other modalities to try to determine whether or not this plaque you have is going to rupture. And one of those is an assay called myeloperoxidase. And that is something that will leak out of these plaques. We are making this assessment that the higher the myeloperoxidase, the more likely your plaque is going to rupture. And this is one of the markers we can look at. Recently, uh, there has been a series of new biomarkers that have come out with ultra, ultra sensitive troponins, which is a component of heart muscle that if that is evident in the bloodstream, we know that there is heart damage or heart muscle fiber damage being done. So that's going to predict an event as well. But the long and short of it is we have many more modalities to determine whether or not you are at risk for heart disease than we had even five years ago. Right. And I think a lot of these modalities have not been adopted mainstream yet. And the best person to actually do the evaluation and to figure this out for you is your primary care physician, because cardiologists and the people associated there typically treat heart disease. They're not necessarily preventative in their scope because that's really the job of primary care. But as the primary care profession has broken down over the years, then, uh, you know, the cardiologists, I think, are seeing, you know, heart disease presenting much later with much less prior evaluation done and obviously more events. Well, and I think we need to speak a little bit to that because not every primary care doctor is going to offer these tests to their patients. There are a lot of patients that are not going to want to pay extra for these tests. So sometimes you do have to seek out someone that is willing to go that extra step and also to understand because a lot of people don't quite understand what it is we're looking for. And there are two different things. If you do have heart disease, we're looking to see if you are at risk for an event. If you don't have heart disease, we're looking to see how likely you are to develop that disease. Mm -hmm. And um, that's misunderstood too. And that was kind of to the exact question I was going to ask you, Nick, is is in the general primary care world now for the average patient, how readily available do you think these options even are? If I were to, if I'm average guy walking in, they are very available, but but there's a gate. But is it going to be offered to me? What's the likelihood of that? Well, the problem is, I I think, you know, as we're constrained by time, Mm -hmm. you know, what are we down to 14 minutes uh, per encounter now with primary care? So how many things can you cover? And a lot of times heart disease is something you're going to ask the question about. um, And you may not really get enough history to direct your evaluation in that. So if, you know, you're conscientious and you're looking at that, one thing I would say is an NMR panel that looks at cholesterol in the newer way is a $35 test. I can get a CT calcium score for $100. And the thing about a CT calcium score, is it a CT of your lungs and your heart? So if I ordered a pulmonary CT to look for lung disease, it's a $450 test. But if I get a CT calcium score, I get an assessment read by the radiologist about the lungs. <laughs> so exactly. it's a cheap way to get a full lung CT. I do that often. Yes. And you get the car, the calcium score on top of it. So for $100, um, and I will plug... Um, Northside Midtown Imaging here in Atlanta, because we'll do them for $100. Other places, it's about $200. So we definitely use them for that. And I'll give them that plug because I really appreciate the lost leader perspective they've taken on that test, which is so important to us. So if I had that test and I had a real look at your cholesterol with an NMR panel, and I know particle size and particle number, 
I would also look at inflammatory markers in their blood, like a CRP, SED rates, and other things. Because remember, inflammation is a huge component of uh, developing these plaques in the first place. So I can put together a really good evaluation of your heart for a cash-paying patient for under $200. Um, and that's the reality of it. It just needs to be done. And every person really sometimes has to advocate for themselves. And I think as physicians, we always say, hey, well, there's insurance not going to pay for that. I'm not even going to bring that up. Well, I think patients are understanding now that their insurance is not designed. It's not health insurance. It's wealth insurance. It's not insuring your health. It's insuring your wealth. It's really a different thing. And people should not equate health insurance with health care. Those are really two different things. And sometimes for what's important, you do have to come out of pocket. And I think many patients understand that. And so just asking the patient, does this have value for you? And most patients would be like, oh, yeah, uh, that has value. Well, and I think, again, looking at uh, certainly in the U.S., heart disease remains the number one killer for both men and women. Women tend to develop heart disease about eight to 10 years later than men, which is often why we'll do our screenings in men first. But we should be looking at women as well. Um, But again, by far the number one killer, I always tell my patients um, or used to when I was doing full-time concierge medicine, my goal is to get you through the heart disease period so that you don't have an event so that you can live long enough to develop cancer. (laughs) (laughs) I try to tell my patients is we don't want to lose one organ because that's a slow wind down. Right. Uh, What I'm shooting for is every organ fails within five minutes of each other (laughs) and you drop straight off a cliff. That's that's what we're hoping for. And then, of course, we want the, you know, we don't want any more stories like the, well, we want the happy ending stories like Mark Beatty, but not necessarily. But we don't want the 99%. The 99%. That come out the other way. Exactly. Yeah. I want to say one thing, too, about men and women and the difference and they develop it later. Um, One thing I think it's very important that people understand is that we know now that a waist to hip ratio is a better predictor of heart disease than your cholesterol. Mm -hmm. So, so much of it is about weight and it's about visceral fat. And if you look at where men put fat on, they're going to put it right in their belly. That fat is inside their belly, up against their organs, producing major toxicity. Mm -hmm. Women are going to place fat in different places, you know, that makes them beautiful. That's going to boobs and butt. And that's how we think of a woman. If you think of that shape, that's the pear. Men are the apple. But some women do gain weight more apple, like an apple yeah. than a pear. And they're Those more women risk. have the same risk of heart disease as men. So mm-hmm. let's not forget about the weight. And that weight, particularly the visceral fat, is about inflammation. Mm-hmm. So that's the big piece. So it's cholesterol and inflammation. But remember, best predictor we know of now is take a tape measure. How big's your belly? Uh, and how's it compared to your hips? And that's a huge, easy marker to get. And I think just walking around town, we can look around and see that a lot of people are at risk. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Indeed. Thank Indeed. you for joining us during Heart Month to talk about um, heart disease, share some personal stories and some, uh, I think, great information for patients to take to their family docs. Fantastic. Another good episode. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for listening to Paradox Life. We are a paradox, talking about a lot of paradoxes. <laughs> Is that plural? I don't know. I think anyway, it's paradoxi. <laughs> paradoxi. Thanks for listening and join us again soon when we will talk about more things that we know only a little bit about. <laughs> I don't know.